0: Hi, this is Gary Savelli, and I'm here this evening with Pastor John Clark and a group of wonderful folks that gather here at Pastor John's house, and we are discussing in these series some of the main questions that we're receiving on the internet on some very important topics, and tonight we have another one, uh, which will be on tithes and offerings. Uh, Again, other than marriage and divorce, I think this is probably the most uh, discussed topic we get. And uh, Pastor John, before we begin... Tell us your feelings about uh, donations from viewers or from people that are not uh, part of the work that you're doing here, because a lot of times when we discuss money, uh, the thought is, you're after mine.
1: Right. I don't receive any money from anybody unless God has sent them here and given us fellowship with them, and, and, and they have become a part of the work Jesus has given me to do. Uh, I've done that because I believe that fellowship ought to precede someone bringing me God's money. I ought to have fellowship with them. I believe that God has a shepherd for all his sheep on the earth. All of God's people have a home. They may not know where it is, and they may not know who their pastor is. It's such a confused system that they're a part of. But all of God's children have someone Ordained by God to be over them in the Lord, to quote the Bible, to rule over them in the Lord is yes. what uh, the author of Hebrews said. And I'm not ordained to receive tithes and offerings from all God's people all over the world.
2: Right.
1: Uh, I don't need it, and wouldn't know what to do with it if I had it. I've only I only received money from the people that God sends here to help me do His work, and I have turned down uh, right many checks from people over the years. It's angered some, it's confused others. But if I don't have fellowship with someone, I don't want their money. If we're not supposed to be together as a pastor and his flock, then they need to go find who their pastor is. And uh, God's people don't understand these things because, as I say, they've been brought up in a confused system, religious system where basically they're begged for all the money they'll give. Yeah, that's But it it doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God, and that's what we're a part of. Yes.
0: Um, Well, tonight we're discussing tithes and offerings, so let's just start with tithes. What is it? What is a tithe?
1: It's from a Hebrew word that means a tenth, and it it refers to a tenth of all your increase is the word that the King James Bible uses. And the increase refers to uh, everything that increases the amount of earthly possessions that you have. Or the value of earthly possessions that you own—that is God's portion. That's what He. All of it comes from God, but He asks that His children bring to Him a tithe or a tenth of their increase. Now, if you own a business, your increase is not the gross amount of money that you bring in, but the gross amount of money minus business expenses—the net that you earn. That's God's. That's what you uh, uh, render. To God, his tithe on was right. a net increase.
0: And what, what is the difference between a tithe and, let's say, we heard the word offering. Right. What, what, what is an offering?
1: Offering is what you give beyond a tithe. And there were certain offerings in Israel that God required Israel to bring. Uh, for example, the first fruits offering. As the crops began to mature, God uh, asked them to bring, or commanded them, to bring from the first fruits of the field to his priest you some other offerings. The offering of the firstborn of all animals—they were God's. He says, "Whatever opens the matrix is mine." Hmm. They had to bring it to the priest of God. Uh, there was the offering of the firstborn of all people. The firstborn son was God's, and instead of bringing the actual child, that he he gave them an opportunity to bring money instead. There was a whenever there was a census taken in Israel. All the males were required to bring an offering to God, and it was a half a shekel. The poor could not give less, and the rich could not give more. It was a set amount every time there was a census in Israel. And then there were uh, there were special times when God sent uh, raised up somebody to ask God's people to contribute to a certain cause, the repair of the temple, for example, in Joash's day, where they put a chest outside the temple, and the people, as they as they uh, felt in their hearts to do, came and brought money for the repair of the temple, for the construction of the tabernacle at Mount Sinai. Moses was told by God to open up the door for whoever in it from their, from their heart wanted to. Uh, donate gold or silver or some of the materials, other materials, animal skins or whatever, brass, gold, whatever, to build the tabernacle. And when he did that, God's people brought so much, Moses had to stop, yeah, them. stop them. Also, three times a year, all the males in Israel were required to present themselves to the Lord at, uh, at the tabernacle or later at the temple. And an offering was uh, commanded from every male that came those three times during the year. And that offering had no specific amount. It was as a person felt in their heart according to the blessing of the Lord that he had had, uh, poured out on them in this life. And uh, lastly, if anybody just felt like they wanted to thank God for whatever, (laughs) being a part of his people or a special thing, good thing that happened to them, he provided a sacrifice, a Thanksgiving sacrifice, that could be offered. Now, with every sacrifice, whatever the animal was, there was a specific uh, meal and wine offering that had to be offered at the same time. With each animal, there came an offering of a uh, meal, a flour, cake of some sort, and wine. And uh, with a bullock, it was a larger amount than with a lamb. But in Numbers 15, the first half of that chapter... God specified how much meal and how much wine had to be offered along with the animal. So the tithe is one-tenth that always belonged to God. Uh, the offering was beyond that, and uh, it, was, it was commanded of Israel. Many offerings were commanded. Others were optional. The amounts sometimes were commanded. Other times they were, they were optional. But there was an entirely, diff- entirely different system of offerings from the tithe. Offering is beyond the tithe. Right.
0: So um, in today's world that we live in, um, you know, when a person brings a tenth or their tithe, um, what about offerings today? Um, how do you teach about uh, what God's children should do with tithes and with
1: offerings? Well, I teach, I teach generally that you ought to bring an offering to God with the tithe. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no scripture that says every time you bring a tithe, you must have an offering. But there are a lot of scriptures in the Old Testament about offerings, much more than tithe. Right. And But for the most part, uh, everybody here brings their tithes and an offering according to the blessing of the Lord and according to their own heart toward God that they add to it every time they bring their tithes. Right. And it works very well. Right. Well, in the, Old, in the Old Testament, we'll talk about this a little bit
0: more later, but in the Old Testament, they brought tithes to the priests. Right. God's ministers.
1: Well, actually, the people in Israel brought tithes to the Levites. The Levites, right. And then the Levites brought a tithe of the tithe to the to priests. The priest. But the offerings went to the priests, right. not the Levites.
0: Well, in, in the Old Testament, they brought them to God's ministers. Yes. And today, what, what ought they, God's people ought to be doing?
1: Well, they ought to be bringing them to wherever the anointing of God is. Mm-hmm. Same as the Old Testament. In other words, you're bringing them to God. Mm-hmm. He is not a religious system. He's a living being. And he, he anoints living beings to represent him on earth. And that's where he says to bring your tithes and your offerings to wherever he has appointed us to do it. Now, I say it this way, Gary. None of us at the beginning knows how to serve God. Yes. None of us. We are all ignorant. If God doesn't tell us what to do, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to serve him. We don't know how to please him. We don't know what he likes, what he doesn't like. That's why we need the Holy Ghost. Because it brings the will of God, the law of God, same Mm -hmm. thing. It brings that on the inside so that we get a feeling about what God likes and what he doesn't like. Mm -hmm. So I maintain that God's tithing system, his tithes and his offering system for the earthly support of his earthly ministers is still in effect. Not only because of so many scriptures that we'll get into but it, because it just it feels right. right. Yes. It, I, I know that pleases God. Yes. I know it. And I've never seen anybody with the right spirit who didn't feel yeah. that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, that's the truth.
1: We don't bring any more animals to God because we, we don't have to live in an agrarian society, but the system is still there. Right.
0: Uh, we're going to read a, an Old Testament scripture here from Malachi, in Malachi uh, chapter 3, and it is verse, verse eight, and it says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now here, herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing. That there shall not be room enough to receive it. One of the main scriptures uh, from the Old Testament concerning tithes and offerings. If we don't bring God our tithes, John, what are we?
1: God calls us thieves. You have robbed me, saith the Lord. And they said, What are you talking about? And he said, In tithes and in offerings. Hmm. You can rob God in tithes and offerings in two ways. You can rob God from his tithes and offerings by not giving them at all or by giving them to a man or to an institution that he has not ordained to receive them. Mm -hmm. He's robbed either way. He and his servants are robbed. Um, You cannot trust anybody who would steal from God. You can't do it. If a man would steal from God, he would murder his mother under the right circumstances. Years ago, my, my father was asked by someone, if a man doesn't bring tithes and offerings to God, can he be saved in the end? Well, my father answered, well, he w- that the man who refuses to bring God his tithes and offerings will have the same chance of salvation as a thief. Because God said, if you don't bring them, you've robbed him. Mm. So, will a man be saved who steals? If God said, thou shalt not steal... Or should we think that thou shalt not steal only applies to not stealing from people, but we can steal from God? I would think that it'd be a more serious crime to steal from God than to steal from people. Sure would. Jesus said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and render to God the things that are God's. Now, he was talking about earthly government when he, when he spoke of Caesar. We render to the government its due taxes and there's no government on earth so stupid as to allow its citizens not to pay its taxes, it can't survive. It can't provide for defense. It can't uh, build infrastructure. It it just can't survive without its taxes. Shouldn't we think God is that wise to understand that his work on earth will not continue without his ministers being alive Hmm. or having time to minister to his people? Paul said those who preach the gospel should live of the gospel, hmm. should reap. The, he said it's a small thing if I reap from you natural things, if I provided you, to you spiritual things. And he wasn't just talking about spiritual things. He was talking about right spiritual things, right. true spiritual things. Yes. If I have rendered to you truly from God, is it any big deal if you keep me going? If you provide for money for me to travel to the next place? Hmm or whatever I need along the way. So a right spirit understands this. It underst- a right spirit doesn't like the feeling of stealing from anybody, God or man. Now, there are some scriptures in the New Testament that some people use to make it seem as if rendering tithes is not, not yes. good. Let me read you one of them from uh, Matthew twenty three twenty three. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and he was rebuking them. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. They're the names of some spices. If they even increased in in the amount of spices they had in their home, they rendered tithes on that. And you have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Now these words are used sometime to leave the impression that Jesus was condemning Israel's leaders for rendering their tithes and their offerings. But that's not what Jesus was saying. Listen to the rest of his sentence. He said, These things you ought to have done and not to leave off the other more important yes. things. So he wasn't condemning them for, for paying tithes and offerings or rendering their tithes and offerings. He was condemning them because they made that such a big deal right. and left off. The weightier matters, mercy of God, the truth of God, the love of God, okay. the judgment of God. Those things are weightier matters than tithes and offerings. The reason we have to spend sometimes a little bit of time on this tithes and offering thing is because money is so important to the flesh. People need; People are obsessed with the love of money. Yes. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money is the root of all evil. That's not it. It's the love of money. That's the root of all evil. And so we have to be very careful to make clear God's way of handling money among the saints uh, so that people can understand He's not an oppressor like the rest of the le- re- like religious leaders who are in the flesh. Right. Don't you
0: think, John, that uh, a lot of God's children try to find a middle ground yes. concerning tithes and yes. that sort of
1: thing? Um, when God revealed that He wanted 10% of man's increase, he wasn't negotiating yeah. for a lower amount. He wasn't starting out high and being satisfied with 6%. Yeah. He was saying exactly what was right. All the words of God are pure, the Bible tells yes. us. He's without hypocrisy. There's no shadow of turning in him. He is, so, he is not a big one of us. When he says the tithe is mine, he means the tithe is his. Right. He means one-tenth is his money. That's what he means. So we can trust him. Now, some of God's children do exactly what you said. They won't give to God what's his. At the same time, they want to maintain appearances. And so they throw a few bucks at God if they're put on the spot. That's just what I call tipping God. Mm -hmm. God doesn't take tips. Right. We're not doing him a favor by flipping him a buck or two every every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Now some of us are bigger tippers than others, <laughs> but if they if we're not doing what God said, do we're not doing it right. Now, if we steal from God two hundred bucks, and when the when a collection plate or somebody begs comes around and we 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 raise up a $50 bill and throw it in there. We'll have to consider the 50 bucks as a a gift, but we'll also have to consider the giver a thief, Hmm. just giving a portion of what is already God's. Jesus wants us to be either hot or cold.
0: Hmm. That's the truth.
1: It's far better to bring God no money and be cold than out of pressure or pity or being talked into it by soft music and reminders about how much Jesus has given to you, you throw a few bucks in a collection plate. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, one of the questions or statements I've gotten at least maybe a dozen times is, well, my husband and I or my my wife and I, we're going through financial pressures, and we just can't afford to give our tithes right now.
1: In other words, you can't afford to give God one-tenth of what he's given you. That's not true. It's never true. never has been true. Some people say they don't make enough, and other people say they make too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, neither one of them are living in faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever is not of faith is sin. And if, if God gives us commandment, if you have faith, you obey it. Mm-hmm. If you don't have faith, you don't. And you come up with some reason or another why you don't. Right. But the plain fact of the matter is God has made it very plain what's his and what's not. And, and if you have faith, you rejoice at God revealing what's acceptable. Yes. If he hadn't revealed what was acceptable, you'd be worried about whether you were doing enough. God has revealed it. It's a wonderful thing. God mm. is good. Yes. do uh, Let's don't be foolish. Right.
0: In the scripture we read in Malachi, we read, bring the tithe into the storehouse. Right. Now that's been used in a lot of ways. Where where do God's people need to be bringing their tithes? Where is the storehouse?
1: Well, it's very important to find out because the promises of blessing and caring for you and, and having a blessing poured out that you would not be able to contain it, and you, you, you came one verse short of the rest of those promises. Mm-hmm. Let me read it to you. Sure. It's from Malachi 3.11. Mm-hmm. And I will rebuke the devourer, the one who devours. I'll rebuke him for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. God is faithful. Yes, he is. God is faithful. But the promises only apply to those who obey God, not just in bringing tithes and offerings, but in bringing them to, the, to where God says bring them. Right. That's what makes it so important. These promises do not belong to those who bring God's money to men who are not sent from God. So we need to know from God to whom to bring them, when to bring them, how to bring them, and all of that is laid out in the Scriptures. And the main thing to remember is that you have to find where the anointing of God is. That's key. I am not the only uh, anointed man on the planet. God, as I said, God's people everywhere have shepherds. They have men who are of God. That's where the tithes and offerings go. I would be foolish to just take money from anybody, anywhere, even from among God's people. Not all of God's people belong here with me doing this work. That's right. They have a home. All God's people need to be in their home with their shepherd. Now, we have to bring God's tithes and offerings to what he called the storehouse. And the reason he called it a storehouse is because in the temple of God were chambers designed just for holding the tithes and offerings that came in for God's priests. So they brought them to the temple, to the storehouse, not for just anybody, but for God's servants. That's the only people who could eat it. There, I mean, there are laws in the books Moses wrote that told the priest who could eat their food and who couldn't. I mean, God was very specific about who could and who could not partake of tithes and offerings. So we want to remember that, and uh, it's very, very important to do things God's way. I I tell this all the time. We have to do things God's way, and we don't know how to do things God's way unless God reveals it. And he has revealed this. What's the point of him revealing it? What's the point? The point is that he wants us to do it. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're up to. Right. What
0: about when we talk about a storehouse? I think a lot of times in God's people's mind it's like an organization or some sort of group. We get questions like, well, is it okay to, for me to give my ties to a Christian mercy group? Uh, you know, it's maybe feeding orphans and that sort of thing.
1: Some, some
0: uh, religious organization. How, how do you respond to that?
1: God anoints people, not things. The second thing is this. If you give tithes and offerings to an organization to which you belong, you haven't given it anywhere. Such as a church. Such as a church. If you give it to an organization that you're a deacon in, deciding how the money is used, it's not out of your hands yet. That's the system God's people have been taught, but it's not God's system. Never was God's system. As long as a man exercises any measure of control over the tithes and offerings that he brings, he hasn't turned it loose. Right. It has to be given, and that, and that would especially mean a religious organization where he was a voting member or an officer of some sort. Now, if a man brings his tithes and offerings to an officially recognized religious organization, and and he's expecting something in return from the government for doing that
0: such as a tax break
1: such as a tax break that's even worse that's trusting the government instead of god but nowhere in the new testament writings is there an instance of god anointing, anointing an organization to receive his tithes and offerings and there are many people who depend on their contributions to a government recognized organization mm-hmm. For, to help with their taxes at the end of the year. But our faith is supposed to be in God, not man. Let me, let me point out something to you. In Revelation 17, we're talking about the great harlot, the great whore. It said, With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. That's, kinda, that's like a deal-making between the body of Christ, this backslidden body of Christ called the whore, Christianity, and governments of the earth. In order for you to get a tax deduction... For your tithes and offerings that you bring, the government has to approve of the organization to which you give it. If you give it to a man, and man is all that God ever anoints, the government does not recognize it at all. I know by experience.
0: (laughs) Yes, you do. So,
1: (laughs) I have to pay taxes on every dime given to me uh, in the form of tithes and offerings, because that's the rules of this country. Yes. But the country and, the fa- and, and religion are so intertwined that you, you can't serve God acceptably inside, that, inside those walls. That's why the Spirit of God is saying, Come out oh, yes. and trust me. Mm-hmm. I'll pour out a blessing yes, right. oh, that yes. you won't be able to contain.
0: Mm. Yes. Yes. Right.
1: Thank you, Lord. Mm. And another thing, if you you bring God's tithes and offerings to the wrong place, you're financing the enemy. And if you bring it to a place that has hired a man to teach its brand of religion, Mm -hmm. then you're paying for your own poisoning. But if you... you Oh, yes, yes. If you bring it to somebody God has anointed and ordained mm-hmm. to receive it, mm-hmm. then you got all those promises mm-hmm. waiting for you. That's right. The government doesn't recognize it mm-hmm. because the government can't. Right. But God recognizes it, and who are you bringing them to? Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. The President of the United States yeah. for his blessing or God? Right. Well, we talked earlier about
0: control. Uh, people who give to. Religious organizations somehow want to control how the money is spent. Especially wealthy people. Especially wealthy people. Uh, What control do God's children have who bring it to a man? None. Should they?
1: None. Isn't that great? Yeah. (laughs) Look, when you have when you have obeyed God, Mm -hmm. that's you and God. When you have obeyed God and brought to the place He has ordained to the man He has anointed and brought his tithes and his offerings, you can go home and rejoice. You're finished. You've done the will of God. And that man of God has something a lot more terrifying than your displeasure if he misuses that money.
2: Huh.
1: Because it's not his money either. Right. It's his master's. And we, Jesus gave us a parable of what happened to a servant, yes. a steward who mismanaged his, his master's uh, affairs there. Right. We talked earlier today about a good story from
0: about King Hezekiah. Yeah,
1: that did you, was great. Did, yeah, do you want to uh, tell your thoughts I love that? that story because it, Hezekiah was a young king who had had, if I remember rightly, he didn't have a very good father, did he? Who was Hezekiah's father? Some of you Old Testament students. Huh? None of my Old Testament students. Were, that's pretty bad. I don't remember No help. <laughs> But we're faithful givers. (laughs) (laughs) I can afford a Bible. Let me look it up. Hold on a second. Uh,
0: Second Chronicles. Oh, this is hilarious.
1: Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Who was ahead of Hezekiah? Hezekiah. Oh, that rotten Ahaz. Ahaz. Of course. Ahaz Ahaz nailed shut the temple of the Lord. So people, priests couldn't go in there and worship God. Hezekiah didn't have a heart like that, and so he. The first thing he did was reopen the doors of the uh-huh. temple, uh-huh. and then he started send, sending out these commandments that all God's people would bring in their tithes and offerings and give it to God's ministers, uh-huh. the Levites. Then he commanded the Levites, now you're 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 going to have what God has ordained for you to have. You're going to have enough for you, you and your family. You can stop working on the fields or carpentry or whatever you're doing. Now get out there in the cities the way God ordained you to and teach God's people God's law. Uh And he said when when he gave that commandment to the people, Hezekiah said, Bring all the tithes and the offerings to the temple so that he had a purpose, not just to obey God's commandment, but so that God's ministers might be encouraged in the law. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, your these people right here and, and, and some beyond here, who are, uh, uh, God has sent to help me, uh, very much encourage me in the spirit of truth. I don't have to be covetous to be encouraged by God's people obeying God and taking care of me and my family. Hmm. Those Levites who were encouraged and the priest who were encouraged in the law of the Lord when Hezekiah had his revival right. didn't have to be covetous people. They could just be encouraged that God's will was being done and they could be want to be a part of it. Right. And, but the benefit was for the whole nation. It wasn't just for the Levites. When God's people brought to the Levites the tithes and offerings that God had ordained, Levites and the priests, when they started bringing those in, they had to build extra rooms to, bring, to, to house mm-hmm. them all. The Levites were blessed. The priests were blessed. They could now concentrate on their calling from God. And as a result, the people who brought the tithes and offerings were blessed mm-hmm. because they were taught the Word of God. Right. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. The tithes and offerings that you bring me are for all of our benefit. Yes and not only us but for beyond look how many of God's people around the world have been touched yes. by what we're doing mm-hmm. that's how it works if we would do it God's way all of God's true servants would have more than enough and and who knows what God yeah. would do among his people yeah. but we have but God's people have to stop giving their money giving God's money and their money to men unordained by God right.
0: Finding out where the anointing of God's Spirit is is a very important issue for God's children today. Right. It's just not there, John.
1: Well, what do you do? My advice to the children of God who have contacted me about that over the years is, if you don't know of a man truly anointed by God, save up God's money. Don't think you're going to please God by just giving it to anybody, anywhere. Wait on God. Now, I've known people who've done this, people who've done it before they met me Mm -hmm. and then finally realized they had had found somebody God has touched and anointed to do his work. But that was before they met me. They sensed they they would rather just save it up and wait for God to show them where to go with it. Hmm. And that's not a bad idea. That's a good idea. You don't finance the enemy. You don't pay for poison. You wait on God, and God will give you a shepherd. He'll lead you to one.
0: Yeah. Well, it takes seeking God. It did for me. And uh, you're not going to find an anointed person uh, whom God has sent in the yellow pages. No. And that's where most of God's children—it's it's funny, but it's not
1: funny. That's where they because look to Most see where of God's to go. children
0: look for a sign on the street or in the yellow pages,
1: but it doesn't come that way. I remember when you began to learn the truth, Gary, mm-hmm. uh, years ago, you asked me, where do I go? Mm-hmm. And I said, if you have obeyed God and come out of Christianity, you're there. You are where God wants you until further instructions arrive. And as time went on, God put us together. Yes. And uh, what a joy that's been. I thank God for you. I thank God for you. Wonderful thing. When God begins to build a family, mm-hmm. look at all you people in this room right here. You would not have picked me. I would not have picked. wouldn't even known you. God, through, I mean, and all of you have a story. Yeah, circumstances. All you have, Leanne, yeah. Tracy? Lou, Tim, Randall, all of you have a story about something God did that led to us getting together. Mm -hmm. Brother Glenn, for you, it was your determination to get away from the part of the country that had nine months of winter. And he put applications in all over south of the Mason-Dixon line, and the first one he got, he was going to take to get away from, and you did. Mm -hmm. And it was right in my hometown. (laughs) All of us have a testimony about what something God did to get us together. Listen, I have never once gone anywhere looking for members. I've never knocked on doors wanting more people to come. I've never done it. I'm not looking for members. I'm looking for God. Jesus told me many years ago, neither expect nor desire any big thing, but make your work perfect. I'm not. I'm not concerned with size. I want. I want what's holy, what's pleasing to God, and and I think that we've got it. That's what I'm after. Yes, John. I've heard you say that tithing's
0: a matter of the heart. Yes, it's part of a holy life.
1: Tithing isn't a gimmick, right? It's not a formula. That's phony. Tithing has to be part of a mindset. It's a small element of a whole life. And without that whole life, holy and upright before God, what you're doing is you're trying to use tithing the way the high priest Eli's sons tried to use the ark. They were ungodly men and God was not giving them the victory, so they said, let's go get the ark. You know how the walls of Jericho fell when they used that. Let's go use the ark. Wicked men trying to use the holy ark of God as a gimmick as a, to bypass keeping his moral commandments. Mm. Which is a very important thing to point out. Tithing is a moral commandment. Mm. Yes. Because if you don't do it, you're a thief. That's stealing. And thou shalt not steal is a moral commandment. Tithing is not a ceremonial form like baptism and Passover and priestly robes. It's not that. It it belongs on the the moral side of the law, not the ceremonial side. It's part of a whole life. It has to come from the heart. Now, I've I've told you all here here, uh, several times. I'll tell you now, if your heart is not in rendering to God his tithes and offerings, please stop it. It certainly means nothing to God unless it's from your heart. It means nothing to Him. That's why I've turned down so much over the years, Gary. Oh, so yes. many I can't. I can I've lost count of how many people I've just had to tell them I can't take your tithes and offerings anymore. They're, they, they weren't worthy to bring God His tithes and offerings. But well, that's just how it is. I'm afraid of God. What? Right. If God won't accept them, who am I to? I'm. I'm here representing Him.
0: There's a verse in Deuteronomy that says, You shall not bring the price of a whore or the price of a dog into the house of the Lord your God for any vow, uh, for they are both an abomination unto the Lord right.
1: God. is not a beggar. He's not a beggar. He told, he told his priests, Do not accept any tithes or offerings from filthy people. The dog there is a homosexual. Mm-hmm. The whore, we know what that is. Do not bring money they have earned by their business into my house. He won't have it. There have been a number of cases where I've just had to tell people I can't take your money because I didn't want to mix their filthy money with yours. I I I honor what you do. I I admire your faith in honoring God with tithes and offerings. I don't want to dirty it or demean it by receiving money from people who aren't living according to the will of God. And I won't do it if I if if I can help it. <laughs> John, I won't why, do it at all because I, I know I wouldn't do it because I haven't done it in the past.
0: Why do you think uh, many ministers receive tithes and offerings from people they know that, that are not living right?
1: Could be several things. Mm-hmm. But I tell you this, if a man's ministry depends on money, then money is that man's God. Mm. Money has nothing to do with the power of God. Right. Matter of fact, God can use, can use a poor man a lot of times faster than he can a rich man. Money can get in the way more than it can help many times. Now, if a pastor receives money from people in his flock, even when he knows that they're stubbornly living in sin, what he's really doing is taking a bribe to keep his mouth shut. He should be reproving evil, uh, not being paid to hush-hush about it. God demands purity of those who worship him, And tithes and offerings is part of the worship. It's part of doing what Solomon told his son and honoring the Lord with your substance. Praise offered to God by a sinful person disgusts him. Look, Solomon said the prayer of the wicked is an abomination to God. Mm. Praise to God without obedience to God is flattery to God, and he's not a sucker for it. Men fall for praise, but God doesn't. The Bible is very clear about all these things. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. It's something else Solomon said. So whether it's sacrifice or just praise or whatever it is, tithes and offerings, God does not accept it if he doesn't have your heart. If you're not walking according to his commandments. Why should we ever even think? with all the evidence we're given in the Scriptures, that God or any of His true ministers would accept tithes and offerings from somebody not living right. There's no, there's no suggestion that God would do that. Right. It's just the opposite in the Scriptures. It's an abomination to Him when you try to keep up appearances by some kind of religious act, and your life is just out of, out of order. So a life of righteousness includes honoring God By bringing him his tithes and offerings, uh, I think mainly because a a godly person can't be happy feeling like they're stealing, Mm -hmm. which is the feeling that the Spirit of God gives you. So those who bring money to the Lord can be divided into two groups. They can be tithe bringers or bribe bringers. The tithe bringers are only doing what's their nature in Christ to do. The bribe bringers are doing what the world's always done, and that is they're trying to buy favor... Uh, or mask a sinful heart by doing some kind of uh, a religious act or an act that uh, something that people admire. Yes, that's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. And those people would be better served to use that money to buy a new car than to bring it to God in some kind of pretense in a hypocritical way. Right. They don't know yet that uh, God is not mocked. Yes, it's really important before we. Um
0: Bring tithes or offerings to take a look at our heart, isn't it, John?
1: You have to. Same thing as uh, drinking of the Spirit. Let us all judge ourselves, Paul said, before we drink of that Spirit, or, or we'll end up drinking damnation to ourselves. Uh, God, God doesn't need our worship any more than he needs our money. Hmm. He said, if I he told, uh, spoke through David and said, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. <laughs> <laughs> I could have hamburgers every day of the week if I wanted <laughs> He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our praise. He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need us, period. We need Him. Yes, and you don't, I don't yes, want to see that. Yes, and if He eat. will accept our worship, accept mm-hmm. our praise, and accept our tithes and offerings, we are very blessed people. Yes, we are. John, tell us a little bit about
0: Melchizedek, because he's very, very connected to tithes uh, in the Old Testament. And there is some scriptures uh, that we may read in
1: Hebrews concerning the place that he had with Abraham and tithes. All right, let me precede that by saying this. Paul wrote to one assembly of saints. He said, we beseech you in Christ's stead. Jesus said many would come in his name, and they'd be saying, I beseech you in Christ's Uh stead. They're after the money and the fame and the the attention. But it's the love of money that is at the root of it. And this is something I've learned uh, just by doing this recent study on tithes and offerings. Paul said uh, covetousness is idolatry. I never quite understood that until now. What he meant was the whole system of idolatry exists because of covetousness. They're after the money. The, 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 the priest of the high places in the Old Testament became priests because they knew that what was wow. coming their way. Yeah. God, on the other hand, cried about it. In Ezekiel 16, he cried. Yeah. Let me see if I can find those scriptures. I had them here a minute ago from Ezekiel 16, which is a great chapter about God's people giving God's money away to others. I don't see it here now, but it's...
0: Yeah, here it is. Oh, yeah? Should I read it? Read it. Yeah. Ezekiel 16, verses 17 through 19. And you have taken your fair jewels of my gold and my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourself images of men, and took your broidered garments and covered them, and you have set my oil and my incense before them. My meat also, which I gave you, fine flour and oil and honey, wherewith I fed you, you have even set it before them for a sweet savor. Yes,
1: giving my blessings to you instead of you encouraging my ministers in the law, you have taken and set it before those images and committed spiritual fornication with them. Well, those ministers were out there for that reason. They were there because it was a very lucrative profession. Still is. Somebody who can entertain with religious doctrine can make a fortune. Mm -hmm. And Satan knows that. That's the root of the development of Christianity is love of the gold and the glory. Satan and men love that. Wow. Now, Jesus was very blunt about this. You know the system that God's people operate in now, for the, in the main, around the world. They operate within a religious system, calls itself Christianity, and what it does is each sect within that Christian Christianity system hires men to teach the doctrine that belongs to that sect. Jesus called men who were hired to take care of God's sheep, hirelings. hirelings. And he said, when tough times come, the hireling flees. Not because he's such a rotten guy, but because he's a hireling. This is in John 10. The, the wolf flees because he is a hireling. He's not, his heart isn't bound up with the sheep. The sheep are not his. You here in this room and those others associated with us are my sheep. If bad times come, bad economic times come, I'm not going anywhere. This is it for me, for richer or for poorer, or <laughs> sickness or in health, <laughs> till death do us part. Yes. that's somebody that that's somebody God has raised up for your sakes, and people that God has raised up for my sake to get a to get a work done, mm-hmm. to complete a work on the earth, and we're working hard at yes, it. Yes, we are. That's what's going on here, but Jesus. Didn't think much of that system, but that's the system we have. Each sect has its own doctrine, and it hires men whom they have ordained as as qualified and capable of maintaining that sect's doctrine. In other words, they pay men not to hear from God. They pay men not to change. They pay men not to confess they found error in their doctrine. They're paying men not to move when the Spirit says move. Yes, exactly but to maintain the status quo no matter what God might say. And, And that system survives because God's children are bringing God's money to that system, to that religious organization that hires its anointed ministers, its ordained ministers to teach its doctrine and not hear from Jesus. And, and increase in knowledge. If you increase in knowledge, you're going to change. If you hear from God, you're going to change. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because I will bet you $100 God knows more than you do.
0: Uh, I, I won't bet against you on that one. <laughs>
1: If we live and breathe and walk in the Spirit, we are going to change. Mm -hmm. God is going to open our eyes to things we thought were right but were wrong and things we thought were wrong that are right. Mm -hmm. That's not what a religious sect pays its ministers to do. Right. Pays its ministers to ignore the voice of the Spirit and not change, but hold to the denominational line. Mm -hmm. They're hirelings, they're they're uh, thieves and robbers, and there's really nothing that has called such men into the ministry but the call of money and status. God has not done it; that's not His system. Since Jesus came, Satan has transformed himself into an angel of light. Paul said, and so it's no wonder that His ministers have transformed themselves into apostles of Christ. But let me tell you something: it's all for the money that belongs to God. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, let's talk about Melchizedek. We're told in the Bible, in Psalm 110, it's a great psalm to read. It's very short. You can read it very, very quickly. It has so much in it. But one thing it has in it is this. God has sworn and will not repent. Talking about swearing to the Son. You will be a priest like Melchizedek. So, If the Son of God was going to be a priest like Melchizedek, we ought to know something about Melchizedek. Fortunately, you don't have to have a Ph.D. to learn anything about Melchizedek because in all the thousands of verses in the Old Testament, he's not in but four of them. (laughs) So it ought to be pretty easy to figure out what kind of priest Jesus is going to be. Uh, There's a negative side and uh, and a positive side here. On the negative side, and this is something the author of Hebrews stressed, on the negative side, we're not told of when Melchizedek was born. We're not told the, the, the genealogy where he came from. And Jesus is a high priest like that because, as Hebrews says, Melchizedek had no beginning of days nor end of life. According to the records, we had nothing. All we know is that suddenly he was there acting as a priest. Well, he said the Son of God is kind of like that. No beginning of days and end of life. You can't find his pedigree. Neither Melchizedek nor Jesus were from the priestly lineage of Aaron. Melchizedek was a Canaanite, showed up in the middle of Canaan during Abraham's day. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, of which the book of Hebrews says nothing was spoken of the priesthood. Nobody from Judah was ever a priest. Jesus couldn't be a priest. Neither could Melchizedek, so they're just alike. Because both were made a priest by the power of God. Not by genealogy, Hebrews says, but by the power of an endless life. That's what made Jesus priest. Eternal life. And it was the power of God that made Melchizedek a priest. But now let's look at the positive side. That That was the negative. Here's the positive. What did Melchizedek do? We know what we don't know and how that sh- how that kind of prefigured the Son of God. But what about what we do know? Well, we do know, number one, that when Abraham met him, he humbled himself to Melchizedek and rendered to him tithes of all the vast amount of booty he had recovered in warfare from the kings he'd been chasing and the slaughter of the kings that took place. Secondly, we know that Melchizedek blessed Abram. Those are the four verses about Melchizedek. Now, if Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and we're only told two things that Melchizedek ever did, is it reasonable to teach that Jesus didn't do one of those two things? Or doesn't do one of of those two things? If he's going to be like Melchizedek, he's going to do what Melchizedek did. And number one, he received tithes. And secondly, he blessed the one who gave it. That's the high priest of Jesus. Uh, uh. It seems reasonable to believe that Jesus receives tithes through his ministers if Melchizedek received tithes. But he also blesses those who bring it to the right place. If the man to whom you bring your tithes and offerings cannot bless your soul, why are you wasting your money?
0: It's a question we get, we get a lot, John, is that somebody will say, I go to a certain place and the, and the minister there, he teaches some good things, but there's just some things I just don't agree with. Should I still give him my tithes?
1: To save your money until you have confidence in every word that comes out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Jesus doesn't want his children to, sat, to, to settle down and just be satisfied to get by on crumbs. And I say that to everybody here. If you don't believe every single thing I'm teaching, please hold your money until you find out whether I'm right or wrong. You're not supposed to be living on half dirty water and half dirty bread, half moldy bread. You are princes and princesses in God's kingdom. You're sons and daughters of God. You're not supposed to be settling for half-baked goods. You are supposed to demand nothing but truth from me. That's your right. Yes, Lord. You have that right hmm. in the kingdom of God to insist I not lie to you. You have the right to demand of me where did you get what you're saying. I know that there is a thing as an experience of being ordained by God to receive tithes and offerings from His people. It happened to me in, I think it was 1993. The Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and told me that. And I wasn't even thinking about it, wasn't praying about it. As a matter of fact, Earl and, Earl and Glenn were praying about it. I put it off on them. I, I, had, I had just put that to the side. I was mowing my grass, minding my own business, and the Spirit of the God, God spoke to me and ordained me to receive your tithes and offerings. But you know what he told me? And it took me years to figure this out. He said, every dime that comes in is for you and your children. Uh-huh. And we still continue with that religious organization tax-deductible uh-huh. thing for years till I underst- right. got yeah, it got through it my the- thick skull, what God was saying. Uh-huh. He didn't want it going to a religious organization. He wanted it going to where his anointing was. Uh-huh. And what a sweet feeling it came when we finally Man. caved in and said, Okay, God, we're going to do it your way. Right. The government does not recognize that, but who are you looking at anyway? This is why I stress so so much the importance of taking God's tithes and offerings to the right place. You want the one you you bring your tithes and offerings to to be able to bless you. Uh (laughs) If he's not, you're going to the wrong place. And the scripture in Hebrews is here, men that die receive tithes, but there, that is in heaven, he receives them. If you bring it to the right man, you're putting it in the hands of Jesus. Uh And you talked before about control and oversight. If you're putting it into the hands of the right man, he's being oversighted. It's not your burden. Now, if you're giving it to a man you you don't trust, then you might need a committee of deacons to keep a check on what he does with it. And if you don't trust me to be doing God's will with God's money, please don't give it until you find out who you can trust. You better find somebody, though, because it's God's money is not yours. And he's got a pastor for you. If it's not me, he's got one. All God's children have pastors. It's such a scattered mess out there, though. They're wandering around, and they don't know who their shepherd is.
0: You've got to feel for them, John, God's children go go to places where they don't. The pastor doesn't even know their name. Right. I mean, how can how can they feel good about that situation? How it can ta- they, how can it they takes give their years. mind to that? Uh, it
1: it shouldn't know? be done here. It takes years. It takes years to get to know people, their families, their feelings, their experience. Go through experiences with them, and the job of a pastor is a lifetime job. I'll never have another job at this one. Mm-hmm. But there's here's something else that. Uh, I need to emphasize, bringing God's tithes and offerings to the wrong man not only hurts you and not only hurts Jesus, it hurts that man. Mm -hmm. It hurts that man because it encourages him to believe he's something he's not. That's right. It enables him to keep functioning in a position for which God has not equipped him, which means that it enables him to continue to mislead people who trust him. Yeah. It can bring a curse on that man for putting his hand on what is holy. Mm-hmm. Because in Leviticus 27, or 28, 27, we're told that all the tithe is holy. And if, if you put them into the hand of a man who has not been sanctified to touch them, you could be really hurting him besides yourself, puffing him up to think something about himself that's not true, and confusing him and everybody. It's just right. Babylon is Christianity. Right. It's mass confusion, and that's just a part of it. Right. The man is confused because he's doing well. He's, he's, he's continuing and being supported, even though God has not sent him. Mm-hmm. And the people are confused because they're disappointed in the results. Well, what can they do?
2: Right.
1: They need to hear the Spirit saying, come out of her, my people. You, you remember Hezekiah's story I told you a little while ago how that the result of doing tithing and offering the right way helped the entire nation. The people who gave what God said give were most blessed. Well, it works in reverse. We take it somewhere God has not ordained. It hurts everybody. It hurts the ones who receive it. It hurts the ones who give it. And those who could be brought into the light are hurt on top of all that. It hurts the whole family of God. There just isn't an error that God's people can make that has more potential for harm than to bring God's holy money to the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Governments survive by their taxes, and God has set up his minister's situation on earth where they survive and do well and do their job, have the time to do their job for God's people through, t- through tithes and offerings. And and when that's not being done right, it undermines it undermines the whole work of God on earth.
2: Yes, it does.
1: So people ought not to think that just because they bring tithes and offerings, they're doing well. <laughs> it may be breaking God's heart to see where they're bringing them. Yes, our heavenly Father loves us so much that He can only be pleased with our tithes and offerings when we've done it His way. It's love that makes Him feel that way, not greed.
0: John, earlier we talked a little bit about the motives of men who uh, are not anointed by God to receive tithes and offerings. And what are, the, what, are the, what you call the two evils that are driving uh, most men to receive tithes and offerings?
1: I've said that there are two principal reasons people refuse to give tithes and offerings mm-hmm. God's way and God's time and, mm-hmm. and God's tithes too. Number one is covetousness. A covetous spirit will keep you from confessing to yourself and understanding that the tithe and whatever offerings God demands are His, not yours. A covetous spirit will keep you from understanding that and admitting it. When you increase, the tithe of that isn't yours at all. It's God's. Sometimes we get caught up with, with the spirit of this age and miss the whole point about how good God is. Now you think about it. Moses was sent by God into Egypt to call, to lead his people out of Egypt. And when he was in there, when he was in Egypt, debating with Pharaoh or warning Pharaoh or whatever, at one point Pharaoh said, caved in a little bit when a few of the plagues had come and said, okay, you go and, you, and the men and women, but leave your cattle here And Moses said, we cannot do that. But he told him why. He said, God has commanded us to go three days journey to that mountain to meet with him. And we don't know what he is going to require of us when we get there. And he told Pharaoh, we cannot leave one hoof behind. Because if we get to that mountain and meet this God who's doing these plagues in Egypt, And he says, sacrifice all your animals. And we've left one here. Are you going to protect us? We don't know what he's going to require. He could demand all our children be burned. The way children were burned in sacrifice in those days uh, among the heathen nations. So Moses stuck to his guns out of fear of God. And eventually, God got them all out and all their animals. Mm-hmm. And they all gathered around Mount Sinai, and it was a fearful sight. Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. The mountain was shaking, there were thunders, and thunder. lightnings, and a trumpet from the darkness on top of all that. And then God Himself spoke. And his voice was so much more terrible than an earthquake and the loud trumpets and the, and, and the lightning and the thunder that the people ran. And they begged Moses to go get the rest of the commandments. Now, God could have said, could have told him to sacrifice everything. But he said, a tenth is mine. And uh, those offerings that I pointed out earlier. Israel must have been stunned that that's all. God required. God didn't even require them to read and write. He only required the Levites to be able to teach them. If a, if a controversy came up or some confusion, anything arose, any kind of judgment was needed, God handpicked a certain tribe to be His teachers and judges and priests. Ninety-some percent, I'm sure, of Israel didn't even need to know the Bible, they just had to be able to trust the Levites and the priests, and they'd be fine, because there was so little that was required of them. There's been so much bad publicity given the Old Testament. Most people don't understand that Israel failed in her walk of faith because God was so good. He demanded so little, so few sacrifices, so so little of what was theirs. They couldn't believe it. Israel failed in, in her walk with God because basically she was more religious than God was.
2: Right.
1: One altar wasn't enough for her. Yeah. One God was not enough for her. And such little, such little amount he required. So we ought to be rejoicing and turning flips at how good our God is because it's not the tithes and the offerings that saves us. It's our good God who requires mm-hmm. only that, and he's promised to take care of all the mm-hmm. rest. If we'll obey him, right? But covetousness will make a man feel that the tithe is just too much. He's too much is being required of him. No matter how small it was, a covetous spirit would think it was too much. A tithe, the tithes and offerings, a very small thing. Hmm. And the second, the second second thing, the second most common reason that I've ever seen. Uh, over the years for people refusing to pay their tithes and offerings, is a proud, rebellious spirit, a government-despising spirit. Yes, we've seen that a lot. To bring tithes to a man of God is to confess that there is government among the saints and that the man to whom you bring those tithes has been chosen by God to rule over you. It's a very personal thing. Very personal But an unruly heart has a difficult time confessing that. What makes it difficult is that God's government is always a who, not a what. It's a man, not an institution. It comes down to me and you. Who are you and who am I? Hmm. It's just an acknowledgment of what God has done among us as a people. The saints are always and only to render their tithes and offerings to those who are over them in the Lord. And so when you do that, try to remind yourself of why you're doing it and who you're giving them to. It'll help you, help you spiritually. The children of God who despise government, the government that God has instituted among His people, will be the first among God's people to receive damnation. Peter said this, he said in Second Peter chapter 2, The Lord knows how to reserve the unjust for the day of judgment to be punished. Then he said, Chiefly, those who walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Now, he also said judgment begins at the house of God. So God's people are going to be judged first. Some to be wise virgins, some to be foolish virgins. But among those who are condemned as foolish, at the top of the list are those who despise the government that God has instituted. Wow. That is, the man that God has instituted in their life to be over them in the Lord, or the men. And sometimes the women could be. But the ones who despise government are first in line to be damned. That's ahead of Hitler, and all those who are just rank sinners. Uh-huh. Has, the family of God's going to be judged first. So despising government puts you first on God's list, and that's one reason that I've seen, other than covetousness, one of the main reasons that God's people, some of them, refuse to pay their tithes and offerings. So... When Abraham brought his tithes and offerings to Melchizedek, it said Melchizedek blessed Abram. Now, the writer of Hebrews made a lot out of that because he said Melchizedek blessed the man who had all the promises of God. And then he said, without any contradiction, it's obvious that the one who blesses is greater than the one who is blessed. Mm -hmm. Abraham was acknowledging, Melchizedek, you are over me in the Lord. You you stand between me and God. Mm -hmm. That's what Abraham was thinking because that's the spiritual reality of it. That's why Paul said, uh, told all the congregation, behave themselves so that those who are over them in the Lord wouldn't have to give a bad account because they said they must give account. I'm going to have to give an account of all of you. That's why in the past I've asked some people to leave because their spirits got so depraved. I didn't want to have to give an account for them. And I know I've got to. So they had to get out of here. If you stubbornly set yourself against the the will of God and the Spirit of God and the holiness of God, uh, I don't need you in my way, and I don't want to have to give an account for you in the day of judgment. I am going to have to give an account for the ones who are here. And that's a fearful thing. Yes,
0: it is. I like what you said earlier about, can that man bless you? Yeah. Uh, so when, you're, when we're bringing our tithes, we're, we're saying, hey, you can bless me.
1: Or you have. <laughs> or have, yeah. yeah. Well,
0: certainly have. Well, if,
1: if a man isn't able to do that, if he doesn't have anything from God to pass on to you, mm-hmm. don't give him God's money. Find the man who has something from God, who really is from God. I mean, that's just so basic. Yeah. But God's people have been so confused by thinking they're, they're doing the will of God by giving their tithes and offerings, mm-hmm. when they don't realize it has to go to God's place.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's why we're doing all of this, for the education of God's people. It's
0: so basic, but so few of God's children are obeying. That's mind-boggling because yes, it is. it's such basic truth that we're saying here and that you're teaching, but
1: so few of God's children
0: do it right.
1: Well, I think many of them don't do it right simply because they haven't heard the right way yet. Of course. That's what we're out here for. That's why you are rendering tithes and offerings to me, and that's why I'm receiving it to get them this message right here along with the others that God has given us. Uh, It's working. Yes. Uh It's working. Uh But basically those are the two reasons that I've learned over the years. Covetousness and a government-despising spirit, a proud spirit, a rebellious spirit. Uh, they're the two principal unclean spirits that cause people to fail to bring to God what belongs to him. In referring to
0: giving, you had written this, This I'll read it, and you kind of give me your comments on it. When we have brought to God his tithes and offerings, we have not given God
1: anything. That's right, because they're already his. Now, in Malachi that you read earlier, he said, you've robbed me. And they said, How? And he said, in tithes and in offerings. So those tithes and offerings must belong to him if you've robbed him by not bringing them. Mm-hmm. But there is a giving beyond tithes and beyond offerings. And Jesus encouraged us to do that. Beyond giving to God what's his. Mm-hmm. Paul said, let us do good to all men as we have the opportunity, right. especially to those of the household of faith. And I've seen practically everybody in here be very generous and very helpful to, to us. Uh, believers who were in trouble or in need and others as well. That's a good thing. And Jesus, Jesus encouraged us to because when he said this, listen, in Luke six thirty-eight, I have it here. Yep. He said, Give, and it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure with which you measure shall it be measured back to you. We will never outgive God. Never. Uh. Now, I had the blessing of growing up around a few saints who actually had the gift of giving, uh, which Paul mentions in Romans 12. You know, much is made about the nine gifts of the Spirit in, that are mentioned in, in 1 Corinthians 12, as if that's all the gifts there are. Right. Listen, God has more kinds of gifts than there are people to give it to. He's got trillions times trillions of different kinds of gifts. Mm. God's full of goodness. Yes, He is. Infinitely good. Mm. And Paul mentions some other gifts, a gift of exhortation in Romans 12, and Mm. a gift of giving. And it it makes for a very pleasant life when you're around a free-hearted person who actually has a gift of the Spirit of giving. God set it up in the Old Testament, so if you wanted to give Him more than what He required, you could. But from what I've seen God's people, in general, are the most giving creatures in all of creation, in heaven or in earth. A number of times I've had to, even some of the people sitting in here, I've had to say, that's too much. Others, I've told you that's too much, and you said it wasn't, so I had to back off and let you learn that it was too much. (laughs) Which, in time, always happens. (laughs) Listen to what Paul said about giving. I love this. You know, and Paul uh, would not would not take any money from the Corinthians. I don't know what they did. Yeah. But he did allow them to contribute to the poor saints that were in Judea. Right. And he told them, he said, now remember this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let each one give as he has determined in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Huh. Think about that. God loves a cheerful giver. Huh. That's so contrary to the lust of the flesh huh. and the pride of life and the, and the lust of the eye. There, there are a lot of different ways that professional religious men have learned to manipulate people and pressure them to give when it really might not be in their hearts. My father told me that uh, he, he watched and observed and he learned that if you make a show of it, you can get more money. Raise your hand now if you'll mm-hmm. give $50. Uh-huh. Who'll give 50 You get more $50 like that than you do if you, don't, if uh-huh. you just let it be in secret.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And if you really get, uh, get ambitious, say, now who'll give 100 How many of us say, uh, it's like an auction. Who wants the most attention? Who wants the most honor among men? Uh-huh. He, he saw how that worked. The, the biggest example of this manipulative tool is to get an organ playing and start reminding people about how much Jesus has done for them and then pass around. A, take up a collection, a collection I think right. is the phrase. Pass the plate. Pass the plate. Take up a collection. No man walking in the Spirit of God uses that tool of oppression. It's, it's, it's just oppression. Oppression is a biblical word that most often is associated with money. Princes that demand too much taxes are oppressors of the people. It's in Proverbs a lot. Uh, The word oppression has to do with money. And that's all that this taking up a collection thing is. If they weren't pressuring the people to give... Uh, A basket by the door would be fine. People could give from their heart when they walked in. That's what we do. Right. There's a basket over there. We used to not have a basket, but I got tired of all these checks sticking out of my pockets during the (laughs) meetings. So I decided to put a basket by the door and put it over there. (laughs) Well, men who do that, who pass up their collection, they know they're pressuring people to give what they don't want to give. Uh And they know that they're embarrassing some people for their past failures. And that's why they talk about how much Jesus has done for them, because they're not giving. And one of the reasons they're not giving is that they're not being fed. Blessings from obedience to God and tithes and offerings and walking uprightly in the Spirit will come, but only if it's in the, if, if, if it's in the person's heart to do it. Right. That's what God's after. Look, even in the Old Testament... The rules for sacrifice in Leviticus 1-7, through over and over again, God says it has to be of His own will, of His own voluntary will. I don't even believe in a religion that's not of the will. If it's not in your heart, don't do it. It's not acceptable. Why waste your time? God's not fooled. If you don't want to do what you're doing, stop doing it and do something else. I've said that a hundred times over the years. The way of the Lord is a way of the, of the voluntary will. His way cannot be imposed on anybody because he wouldn't have it if, it's just him, if you're just doing it because you're feeling pressured. It's, it's unacceptable if it's not from the heart. So if it's not from the heart, don't waste your time. Go outside and go fishing. Do something you enjoy. Don't just carry on an appearance. It's a waste of your time. You'd be better off if you didn't do that. Gifts are only acceptable, whatever's beyond tithes and offerings. Besides tithes and offerings, whatever you give beyond that is acceptable to God only if it's freely given from your heart. If you're doing it to keep up an appearance or to keep up with this one over here who gave that much, you are absolutely wasting your money for no spiritual benefit whatsoever. God's tithes, And offerings are all that belongs to him. And he does not want you to waste anything else that you have left. It's all for you. Now, if you want to give some of that to a brother in need, this and that is fine, within reason. But everything beyond God's tithes and offerings are intended. They are ordained for your life and for your children. Mm -hmm. Don't give in to begging ministers somewhere who are not doing the will of God, and that's why they're having to beg for money. If you want to know who not to give your money to and be safe, don't give it to anybody begging for it. (laughs) That's one place you can know for sure not to give it if you want to do anything for God. It's supposed to be yours. It's supposed to be, you're supposed to have enough money to get a set of tires or buy some ice cream. It's you. It's for your, your pleasantness, your benefit, your education for your children or whatever. It is for you. That's the rest of your money God does not want. A man that's begging you for what is beyond what God has required, he wants what's yours, not what's his. Yes. He's a thief. It doesn't matter if he plays an organ and tells you all day long about how good Jesus is. If he's begging you beyond what God requires, he's a crook. He's not receiving it in the name of the Lord. The the Christian tradition of taking up a collection is just a tool of oppression. And it would be completely unnecessary if, if the ministers would just tell God's people the truth. The children of God, from what I have seen and experienced, cheerfully bring God's tithes and offerings to Him without even being asked. There's something inside that... I've had some of you in here, when you first came... I remember you, Glenn, and some others. Where's the, he didn't even pass the collection played around. One thing really bothered Glenn. <laughs> no, he couldn't believe it. What? Because it's not God's way. I knew when Brother Jim started, the Lord said, don't say a word to him. He would give his tithes and then a few cents offering. And God said, he's been trained not to give until he's begged. Leave him alone, his heart. We'll tell him where to go. Mm-hmm. And where and it did. <laughs> no no, no,. Oh, Marcia. He finally mm-hmm. felt free to just be himself mm-hmm. and give how he felt, because he knew he was not going to be begged for a penny more. Yeah. Huh. That's God's way.. Yes. Happy, well-fed children of God are the most generous creatures. In all of God's creation, listen to this. I believe that by your example, by God's children who are free and happy and well fed, by their examples, they teach angels things about giving. Let me ask you something. Where have you read about an angel giving anything? They don't know anything about it. Paul said, We instruct spiritual powers. Mm-hmm. As I said, I've, uh, I've had to turn down some of you because you're doing, doing more than what your faith could bear and what your circumstances called for. But it was a wonderful heart. It's like God said to David, it's good you had it in your heart to build me a house, but you're not the guy. It's your son that's going to do it. Good God. Basically all it amounts to is believe God. Yes, yeah, believe in God. Just believe God. Bring all his all his ties to mm. the storehouse. And he said, Prove me yes, with this. I love that part. Put me to the test. Mm. Give me an opportunity to show you what I can do. Mm. And I'll open up to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. Yes. You won't even have enough room to receive. Mm. God invites us to put him to the test by just obeying him. I love what Jesus said to his disciples one time, Fear not, little flock. Fear not. That's what covetous people uh, have a problem with, fear. Yeah,
2: they're afraid.
1: What's going to happen if I give God some of my money? I
2: won't have enough.
1: Yeah. Without realizing it's not his anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not not theirs anyway. It's his to start with. Right. The same Father who provided you with what you have to give will also cause you to reap what you've sown from the heart. Just believe God, and he's promised he'll take
0: care of us forever. Mm. John, in all your years as a pastor, have you ever met anyone who who uh, was faithful in tithes and offerings who didn't have enough? No, never. Never?
1: Never. Never. If they handled the rest of it with right. discretion. Right. No. <laughs> yeah. It's not a gimmick. Yeah, that's right. It's a lifestyle. Right. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed out begging for bread.
0: Mm. Is tithing a commandment? Uh, it, it was a commandment in, in the Old Testament. Um, is it still a commandment today? That's a question we get quite often. In other words, that, yes, it's, it was something that, that that occurred in the Old Testament, but is it a commandment still today that applies? Well,
1: I can, I can say yes, but that's no good unless I explain it. And the reason that I say yes is is what I touched on briefly before. In the law of Moses, we can see three different kinds of law. You had the civil laws for the judges of the land carrying out law enforcement. You had the ceremonial laws, which had to do with worship at the temple and holy days, such as that, and the moral laws. Mm -hmm. And if tithing was a moral law, then it's still in effect, such as Even more than ever, sure. such as thou shalt not kill, so, shalt not, such as thou I mean, shalt, I mean, shalt not trade. steal. Right. And since we know from God's voice himself through Malachi that those who did not pay tithes and offerings were stealing, mm-hmm. we know that tithing is a moral commandment. Right. Because it's what it is. Is is it is from when it's when it's from the heart. The way it was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They all brought tithes to God we told Abraham did to Melchizedek. Jacob did too, but I don't know to whom. Yeah. Maybe Melchizedek Jr. We just don't know. <laughs> but whoever it was is where the anointing was. But that was before the law. Right. And the before law was the law. not given for the righteous men. They were already doing the will of God. It was given for the wicked so that they could be judged.
2: Sure.
1: So we know from that that Abraham had it in his heart, the gratitude he had in his heart for winning the battle over the king's he was thankful to have an opportunity to vent that thanksgiving mm-hmm. to God through Melchizedek. So tithes and offerings are a pop-off valve. Right. Uh, when a heart is so filled with the love of God and thanksgiving for His blessings, it jumps at the opportunity to give an expression to it because we can't climb sure. up into heaven. Right. We can't go up there and hug Jesus. Uh, it's like my father said, uh, we can't, I can't hug Jesus so I'm going to take it out on you. <laughs> That's how God's sheep whose hearts are right Feel I can't get to Jesus to give him these things. So who is, who is next to him on the earth? Mm. Who, who can receive it in his name right. so that he'll take it personally? Uh. And it's those men that he's anointed. Sure. And women if he's anointed. And he, you know, he called prophetesses in, in the Old Testament. So there could be men or women. Right. So that, that's a very important point. We see righteous Abraham In the Old Testament, giving tithes, and Jesus said, if you were children of Abraham, you would do what Abraham did. Mm -hmm. Now, if Jesus is a priest like Melchizedek, Mm -hmm. and we're going to be like Abraham, Mm -hmm. then what did Abraham and Melchizedek do? Mm -hmm. Well, then you have it. It's still in effect. Yes, still in effect. Because Jesus is alive and we're here.
0: If there's uh, anything you want to close it out with, or if some of the folks here have questions, it would be a good time for that
1: if there's any questions here. I have a, a note here from a sermon. I think somebody gave me this, this uh, a few weeks ago. A sermon by my father. This was at Grandma's Farmhouse, yeah, 1972. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said he heard a minister promise people that they would prosper if they paid their tithes. He said, that's terrible. He said, I won't promise you to prosper one bit for paying tithes, but I'll tell you what I will promise I promise that it you won't prosper if you don't pay them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Huh. You're going to be sick, you're going to be in need, and you're not going to be happy. Yes, That's a yeah, high oh price. Huh. But here's what I promise you. If you'll pay your tithes and give your offerings and use wisdom with what's left, it will go further than the whole thing would have gone if you hadn't rendered your tithes and given yeah, your offerings. That's
3: good advice.
1: That's huh. good advice. And there's just one one final thought I'll add before, if anybody has any questions, before we take them. and this is something my father told me. He said, "Someone has said this he was quoting somebody else that the tithe is the basket in which God gives us the money we need, And if we fail to bring him the tithes and offerings that are his, we've stolen his basket." Hmm. I think that's a pretty good that's saying pretty good there. stuff. Now, does anybody have any questions about something maybe we didn't cover? Earlier you explained how that if somebody uh, ran a business that they would pay tithes on, not the gross, that the business brought in. Yeah. The net. Net. I was wondering uh, if that same rule applies to individual wage earner. I think you're referring to getting, stay there and let me see if this is right. Let's say an individual wage earner, you don't have a business, you're just earning wages, right? Right. So... From most paychecks in this country, from businesses, you have certain things taken out of that check before you get it, such right. as taxes, taxes, biggest thing anyway.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, I I think I mentioned this. Maybe I didn't. But God comes first. You pay your tithes and offerings on your gross pay. Then the government comes second. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Yeah. Now, yeah. now, we agreed... As a body, many years ago, before I even came to the Lord, the the body of believers that my father pastored talked about this. And they they came down to two choices. One was to pay tithes on your gross pay, and then whatever tax refund you got, you kept it all. Or pay tithes on what was after the taxes of the government, And then paid tithes on whatever refund, and they all agreed that they wanted to pay taxes, to pay God his tithes first before the government took his taxes. And if they got a refund back, then it was all theirs. And I've just continued doing that.
3: Okay,
1: thank you. Two of them on Skype. Okay.
4: Um, the first one was a testimony that leads into a question. Um, The testimony was Melissa's, and. She wanted to pay tithes but didn't have any of her own income and her husband was not a believer. So she asked the Lord what to do and he told her to pay tithes on her time since she was um, just learning
0: about him to do it in Bible study and reading the Bible every day. So what should, uh, I guess the question would then be, what should a believer do if their spouse is a non-believer concerning their tithes and offerings?
1: You You cannot give somebody else's tithes and offerings for them. It must be from the heart, or it's unacceptable. Now I remember the years Brother Rob was still out in sin. Donna wanted to pay tithes, and she rejoiced whenever somebody gave her twenty dollars for her birthday because she got to pay some tithes.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I would not, in the in the least, have uh, have accepted tithes from Rob because he wasn't it wasn't in the Lord yet. And I have had a case of a woman sneaking behind her husband's back i found out later didn't know it at the time and paying ties on his pay when he was an unbeliever and i was very upset when i found out about that and called him when i found out and told him what his wife did and told him i was going to write him a check for everything she'd given me behind his back and you know what he said he said no i want let's just leave it like it is and uh then I just started from there on, not taking any, more, any of his tithes and offerings. So that was willingly because I was, I was writing the check when I was talking to him. And he said, no, let's leave it. But uh, from then on, I, I didn't take anything from her that came from his paycheck. I don't believe in that.
4: I know that when I started in the Lord and my husband was not and I didn't work, so I had no income of my own, I wanted to tithe so badly I devised a way that I thought would be okay, and I I didn't hide it from my husband. I said, what about this? I I sort of came up with a plan. I said, "What (laughs) what, what if you give me a monthly allowance, you know, that I would use to buy groceries or whatever, and then I would be able, and he knew this up front, I told him, I said, I, the reason I would like to do that is because I don't have a job. You know, I work in the home raising our children, but I didn't have a job, and I wanted an amount of money that I could tithe on freely from my own heart. And so we tried that for a little while, a very short while. <laughs> 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 because what happened was Jesus started convicting me, yeah. and I knew that it wasn't mine. Right. And it just fizzled out because it wasn't mine. And I remember Jesus told me that he was after the whole thing. He yes. was after it was his it was between he and my husband. Yeah. That's who would take care of it.
1: Amen. <laughs> Amen. In the meantime, you were being taken care of. That's right. Yes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Is this another Skype? Okay.
0: What is an example of um, a first fruit in the New Covenant
2: offering? A first fruit offering.
1: Wow, that's a good question. Well, I I, can hear the question. Uh, what her question was? What was an example, or what is an example of first fruits in the New Testament? I'm not sure that we can give a an example of every one of those specific. I know I can't give an example of a spiritual equivalent to every one of those specific offerings God named. But I'll tell you what several people have felt was the first fruit and have acted on. Um, Brother Glenn's one, when he first retired, he felt that his first fruits was the first check. He gave his his entire check for the first month when he retired as the first fruits of his retirement income. Uh, We had another lady uh, years ago who got a new job and was very thankful and excited about it and brought as her first fruits from that new job the entire paycheck from the first month. Uh We've done that. We had a little garden and
0: and there were some flowers and Song brought over uh, flowers for Barbara. That was the first flowers that we picked. And then we did it sometime I think it with tomatoes or something we brought right. over the first thing. But I, I didn't think of that. I, I got the idea from Wendell. <laughs> but it sure sounded good Well, to me. now, <laughs> Don, I've
1: had, on the other hand, I've had Sister Donna and some others, Rob, uh, first fruits of a garden during the year. Mm-hmm. What's that? Earl and Earl, that's right, Earl and Betty, and some others, too. So, really, it's a spiritual thing with your heart and you and God but sometimes you just have to be made aware of what some others may have from God that you hadn't gotten yet and mm-hmm. learn from that i think it's i think it's exciting to be,
0: to find those kinds of ways sure. to give sure. you know to to say oh that's a great idea mm-hmm. and then to bring that to the Lord with your heart it's from your heart and i know i know he receives that
1: i remember one time uh, you know by, it says by faith we receive promises in, in hebrews 11 I remember one time going over and taking some first fruits to a very elderly Holy Ghost filled saint and I carried it in a bucket to her and and put it on the table and I and I raised the spirit of god came on me mm-hmm. and I raised that empty bucket mm. up to the lord and he said your bucket will never be empty wow mm. Mm. and that promise has come true yes I know uh, you've had a question come over the internet, directed at me. Yeah. Why are you begging for money? Right. That's something I've never done. Right. But if you even talk about it, right. they assume that eventually you're going to get around to asking for right. a donation. Right. And it's never happened here, right. and it never will, as long as I continue doing the will of God. That's not
0: how his kingdom operates. Yeah. One thing, uh, one story that I, I wish we would got in here... Uh, when you were teaching the Old Testament class, and you taught about tithes and offerings and about giving, and then Sister Tammy
1: had said, "Well, I've never given God anything." Oh yeah, that's a good story. Maybe well, now that was it. years ago in Louisville, mm-hmm. because uh, Jimmy uh, was having a hard time keeping, you know, keeping things up. Pastor out there and had built a little building in his yard, and it was kind of tight. Uh, and I went out there and taught him about tithes and offerings, and I told him. If you bring your tithes, which they all were doing, you haven't given God anything. Now, the offerings is, is what you can give beyond what God requires if you want to give something. And that's when Sister Tammy just kind of, she was thinking out loud after that teaching. She said, I've been in the Lord for how many years? She said, I've never given him anything. It was like she was stunned. Mm-hmm. And my memory, Jim, you correct me if I'm wrong, my memory that that things changed out there right after that, and financially there were no more problems. Hmm. How do you feel about bake sales or spaghetti suppers as a way to bring money in? Well, I'd be willing to pay for the spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> and the rolls. But not to sell it. The reason no, the reason it's funny is cuz it's reality in a lot of places. Some of you have grown have come to, been have escaped that kind of religious system. All that is all that comes about, Bob, because God's people are not doing doing things God's way. If all of them would obey God with their tithes and their offerings, they would have no need for bake sales and covered dish suppers and all that kind of stuff. I talked to a lady in Lexington when I lived there, lived close to us, went to a I don't know what kind of Methodist church I think that was up on the corner on Arnold Road. Anyway. She said, she said when they got into such debt building that new building, they spent so much time together cooking and sewing and this and that, and it had taken them so long to get out of it. But she enjoyed being around the people so much and getting to know them, and now they were out of debt and they weren't seeing each other anymore. She said, we need to get in debt again. <laughs> that's, their only, that's the only way she could think of to get close to people. Yeah, that's not God's way. All right. Like for me to tell? You have two stories you'd like for me to tell? Would I like to tell them? She's going to come up right here and tell. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Great. I, I, no, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh,
4: you know, boy. stories i like for you oh. One is the conversation
0: between Uncle Joe and Preacher Clark. Oh, that's a good one. I may not pay my tithes anymore.
1: Oh, uh, Uncle oh. Joe was being chastened by his pastor one time. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: and uh they were all desperately poor i mean his deposit i look, look back in 1970 or maybe it was late 60s at my father's bank deposit at one time it was 70 some dollars i mean that was like for half a month or something hmm. they were all so poor and my father lived on social security because uh, he was 50 when i was born so he had his Social Security then dwindling down because his kids were getting grown. But Uncle Joe thought he had him one day when my father was kind of reproving Uncle Joe about something. I don't know what. But he said, what would you do if I stopped paying my tithes? What, you know, what if I stopped giving you
3: $15? <laughs> something like
1: that. And my father said, let me ask you something. What would you do if I wouldn't take them? Well, that was the end of that conversation. Yeah, Yeah. that's that story, Barbara. What's the other one? (laughs) You leave room for some people because they are a little feeble-minded, like Paul said. But this particular time, this this brother had started and stopped and started and stopped in the past, and uh, he he began coming to the meetings again and hearing the truth again. Somewhere along the way, he heard about tithes and offerings and. He talked to me, he said, Brother John, I'm going to start paying my tithes as soon as I get caught up. Okay, okay. And uh, he told me that about three or four times, and finally the Lord said, no, he's not. And I thought I would have to go talk to him and say, now, look, you can't decide when to start obeying God. You can't schedule a date when you're going to start obeying God. And the Lord said, no, you can't tell him. You have to wait until he brings his first check and then tell him it's unacceptable that he cannot schedule God in when he wants to. And uh, <clears throat> well, that was tough because he was a very loving, he loved a guy. So when he came and brought his check that day, I said, we'll I'll talk to you in a few minutes. So we sat down after everybody left and I said, I can't take this. I said, the Lord won't let me. and He wants me to, wants you to know that you don't do him favors by giving him his money. You do yourself a favor when you don't steal them. And I just can't take it. And his mouth fell open. He got so hurt that he never came back. That's when he quit for the last time. So and there and there's a, there's another situation that that has finally come up, um, not recently but it's still in effect, and that is the Lord instructed me in 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 a couple of cases, to where. Where when somebody was in and out like that. I'd do right for a while and pay tithes and offerings and then quit and bounce in and out. And the Lord told me to warn one particular fellow, now, you're about to quit again. And he was. I said, you're not going to be allowed back unless you bring God all the tithes and offerings you've stolen from Him in the meantime, plus 20%. That's, And he's never come back. So that was that was that's a way of security to keep these young people and all of us to keep our minds from our hearts from being jerked around so much. Uh And there's a there's a situation like that now that I'm going to have to deal with pretty soon. Somebody wants to come back and they've been taught their whole lives that they tithing and offering was right. And they haven't done it for a while and they want to get back right with God. Getting back right with God means giving him his money back. And if they are humble enough and have faith enough to do that, it will help them not backslide again mm-hmm. in the future. Yes. Yes. So it's really the love of God. It sure is. Not retaliation, but, but helping them, put a fence around them, letting them know there's a price to pay for infidelity
2: uh.
1: in the kingdom of God. God is serious about what's His, and what's His is holy. Yes, it is. And, and and to hold it in your pocket is to is to bring a curse on yourself.
4: Mm-hmm. I will have to say that uh, under the time your father was living, and you, when you have an anointed man who who knows the people's hearts, he does not take advantage of what they can give or can't give. Mm-hmm. We had an instant one-time situation early. Now we were very young in the Lord. And we paid our tithes and offerings, but I, we got we must have got a Christmas balls or something. It was some we came into a some extra money and we were so tickled we ran up to your father and we gave him a large sum of it he wouldn't have it Mm-mm. he said no that's your money you keep it
1: yeah
4: i've had i've, I've had
1: ass. him i've had him turn down some money for me too kind of embarrassing but it taught me taught me
4: it, well he, he was looking out for our good that's right he was not a stealer he was not a robber uh-huh. he didn't want he didn't want our money he only wanted what was god's money that's right. for him that's all he wanted
1: and the rest of it was yours.
4: Well and when you have a man like that who knows how to protect you, that means a lot. Mm-hmm. Which God's people we're finding out all over do not have
0: that. One question comes up sometimes about tithes paying tithes and offerings on gifts or scholarships or, you know, things that a person receives that's you know a gift you know, that's given by some other organization or person well, or whatever. Well,
1: as as a rule around here If uh, you all, if some of you or one of you gives a birthday present to somebody else, gives them $50 for a birthday, I don't take tithes from that because it's already had tithes paid on it. Right. Scholarships for kids in school, I I don't take tithes for that because it's being applied. They really don't get it. Now, if they get so much scholarship, they have extra, yeah. But I'd rather that scholarship go for what it's given to them for, which is school and education supplies and that kind of thing. Right. If you have an abundance, you owe God his part. That's your increase in that case, and, the, and what's paid for school is a business expense. Right. So if a person's tuition was $1,000, but they got
0: a grant for 4000 they would just pay tithes and offerings on the $3,000. On the that 3000 that's right.
1: Oh, Earl. Uh, yes, I have a question, John, about uh, that. Uh, how about insurance policies, like at funerals and things like that, where they have an increase on that? Well, I'm not too sure how that in, how, explain that to me, Gary. How Well, okay. How Let's that say work? you have, say you bought an
0: insurance policy, a life insurance policy, and um, you know to cover just your your funeral expenses. Right. And then the person dies, and they get the ten thousand dollars life insurance benefit.
1: All right. Now, okay. how much of it do they spend on the funeral? Uh,
0: nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars. <laughs> then they owe <laughs> ten cent tax. <times. laughs> <laughs>
1: Be like kinda like a scholarship, wouldn't it? Yes. Now if you had a life insurance policy on somebody for a half million dollars and they die and you get a half million dollars, right? That's increase. Sounds good to me. Anything else? Oh, come on up here, Jacob. Um, what if someone receives like a birthday present from someone who hasn't like already paid tithes on like when they're biological family members or something should they then pay tithes on it yes if it comes from the outside if it comes from sinners unbelievers then if you comes in the believers hands they owe god his part of it okay anything else good questions okay good we're all wrapped up then thank you very much thank you